0: Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host along with senior political writer Carrie Elaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1:30 Pacific, 4:30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Marcus Molitzis. I'm here with Carrie Aliveld. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast, The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. And what a treat. Carrie and I are reunited after about a month apart. She was out sick for a while. And then I saw my son off to uh, advanced training uh, back in the Army last week. And uh, it's summer, Carrie. So I think we're going to – things are going to be a little uh, – fluid for for a while uh, I know I'm, I got some vacation you have yeah. uh, maternity leave coming up
1: yeah true enough true enough oh so my god so, exciting. Gonna... so yeah, exciting so exciting and, exciting.
0: and it, it's you're like you're just starting and I sent one off to the army and I've got another <laughs> one who's in, in, incoming sophomore so uh, we're kind of on opposite ends of that spectrum right and uh, so yeah believe it or not nobody tells you this but grow up
1: oh no. Don't say that. Mm-mm. They
0: they That's grow not. up. It's it, like, I had no different. idea.
1: We're gonna be totally
0: t- totally came out of left field. I uh, it was it was shocking, it was quite shocking. <laughs> so, Carrie, today it's gonna be you and me because we have so much to talk about, oh, so much to catch God. up on. We have the January 6th Commission, and we have this thermonuclear political bomb that is the the uh, overturning of Bro v. Wade and the now illegal abortion in what, 17 states, 14 states and more, more, more coming
1: down the pike. I mean, you know, it's one of those situations. And I remember this during the fight for marriage equality, which was, of course, the opposite fight to gain rights rather than, losing them but just it was just it was such a rolling story the whole time that it was like it was felt nearly impossible to keep track day by day like which states were doing it and which states aren't doing it and whatever but you know you know roughly roughly half the states are expected to end up without abortion rights and you know some with very very strict non exceptions like no exceptions
0: so we're going to definitely be talking about we're going to be talking about that and the political ramifications. And Carrie, we're, we're going to pat ourselves on the back because we've been discussing the impact of this decision on the electoral on, on the 2022 midterm elections when nobody else seemed to be doing it. Everybody, oh, it's a midterm and the party in power loses seats without really understanding this this macro issue that was just about to drop. And yeah. so we always knew this was coming. And now we're going to be talking, I think, extensively about what that means. But before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit about the January 6th commission, because as we record this, the Tuesday session has just finished and it was a bombshell, carry. Holy crap. Yes. From beginning Holy to end. Crap. it was- uh, first of all, what's super- a 25 year old doing three doors down from the from the president? What, what what's that about? You know, there's
1: There's always some young aides. I will say that it's not super uncommon. Here's what is uncommon. What is uncommon is that someone who was like basically two years out of undergrad. Right. Was not only three doors down from the president, but had, you know, Kevin McCarthy yelling in her ear, don't let make sure the president doesn't (laughs) come down to the. I mean, like, you know, here's this poor aide, like, you know, she's she is young, not stupid, but young. And like, nobody's saying
0: she's stupid, just to be very, very clear.
1: Not at all. She was incredibly poised today. I give her a lot of credit. She's 26 years old, I think, now. Yeah, she is coming forward when Mark Meadows is hiding behind legal stuff so he doesn't have to testify. And, you know, I mean, like Eastman won't testify. They're all hiding. They're all hiding behind everything from executive privilege to pleading the fifth. And and here's this poor aide who is like, yeah, it was wrong, you know, and she's put in this position where she was Mark Meadows, you know, aide who apparently he had in tow all the time. And she was put in this position where she's trying to navigate, trying to get her boss to do something proactively in order to end the coup, the violent coup that is currently unfolding at the Capitol. Um, You know, she kind of sees it coming because she asked Meadows in advance, like, what's going to happen on January 6th? Like several days before January 6th, she's like, what's going to happen on January 6th? And he was like, I don't know. It could be bad. And, you know, so she knows that something big is coming. She's not clear on all the details. And then, you know, she's trying to get him, keep him from going, figure out how to keep the president of the United States from going down to the Capitol after he has been, you know, has said he wants to go. And she's got, she's got. People in the Secret Service saying, "No, he's not going." She's trying to relay the information to Meadows that you know they're breaching the Capitol. The violence is starting to unfold,
0: and Meadows um, is just checking his his phone, completely yeah, uninterested.
1: Che- checking his phone, he you know he, he's and Trump he's like apparently like my kids, like my kids. <laughs> right? Trump apparently, according to her testimony, gets in what they call the Beast, which is like the presidential motorcade, the the lead car in the presidential motorcade, and gets in the beast, and they say, we're not taking you to the Capitol, sir. And he says, yes, you are. And he kind of unloads on them and tries to grab the steering wheel and get them down to the Capitol. And, you know, McCarthy's on the phone with uh, with her, Cassidy Hutchinson, saying, I think we should have said her name sooner, but my God, sorry. Cassidy Hutchinson saying, Don't let him come down here. I mean, I cannot imagine being 24 years old and I, you know, I had some positions that were like, you know, punching just a little above my weight sometimes when I was younger. But I can't imagine being 24 years old and trying to figure out how you can head off the president, like being put in this position of like trying to figure out how you can head off the president from you know, actualizing a coup that he wants to lead in which people will die and the government will be overturned. Um, and not just
0: any president, but a president who doesn't listen to anybody. Unbelievable. We're not talking somebody where she could come in and appeal to reason and logic. And and this is the situation. I mean, there was bloodlust in, yeah. in Trump's eye. And he and she testified that he knew that his supporters were armed. He demanded that that metal detectors be taken down. Yep. And that he could then personally lead these armed people to the Capitol saying they're not here to harm me.
1: They're not here to harm me. Right. Exactly. So he's trying to get me,
0: whatever the code was right, right.
1: but paraphrase harm me. He's basically saying, look, these guys aren't after me so that, you know, that, AR-15 that that guy is wielding or those people are wielding, like, don't worry about that because that's not for me. Like, yeah. that's that's his M.O. And I thought um, Frank, Frank Figliuzzi, who is on MSNBC, um, he's a former F- FBI assistant director, made a really good point that Hutchinson's testimony sort of takes Trump past the point of passively sitting at the White House while this violent coup is unfolding and refusing to do for hours to do what needs to be done to call, sort of call off the dogs. Right. He, it takes him past the point of passively not trying to stop the coup, but in fact, actively trying to cause it. I mean, knowing that there's people with weaponry. You know, really pushing to like you know the, the the part where he encouraged everybody to go down to the to the Capitol and he was going to come with them. You know, a lot of that stuff was uh, was extemporaneous. The stuff about Pence not having the courage things to do, to to act was extemporaneous. Like he just did that on his own, not part of the original speech as planned. So you know, the, he he is, this is just a very, It it is just every hearing turns into a, a worse scenario for Trump. And, you know, there were other surprises, like Liz Cheney, the vice chair of the committee. Um, she played testimony from Michael Flynn, former general and former national security advisor to the president, right? <laughs> He's taken the fifth. On whether or not he believes in the peaceful transfer of power. They show his deposition. You know, Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transfer of power? And he says, Fifth. He even, on that question.
0: And he even huddles with his lawyer for 90 seconds to decide whether that's a question they want to answer.
1: Right, right. And and
0: here's, and then she asked, and then, yeah, and Liz Cheney asked, like, morally, Like, let's not legally, just morally. Is it okay? Is it okay to overthrow the U.S. government? And he took the fifth on that question.
1: Yeah. Do you believe the violence on January 6th was justified? The fifth. I mean, this is just like you just can't like that just got thrown in there. And I think a little overlooked. But but here we've got this guy who was like national security advisor to the president saying he's taking the fifth on the freaking peaceful transfer of power, whether he believes. Violence was justified. It was crazy. And yeah, this is the first. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You you know, so say
0: this is the first hearing that made a direct connection between Trump and January 6th. You had Brit Hume even last week saying, oh, Donald Trump was just surrounded by really crooked people. Right. Everybody. I don't understand why they keep trying to protect them when it's so obvious that Trump is a ringleader. But even then, and this is the first time you can no longer say that this is the first time that they made a direct connection between And when Trump Jr. becomes a hero in the saga, trying to get his dad to to call off the uh, the insurrection, you know, things have gone maybe a little bit too far.
1: A little sideways. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that they showed towards the end, um, which was at, at the very end of the hearing, the last thing that Liz Cheney was talking about was hey, we're getting information. And she basically, she didn't use the word witness intimidation, but she said, we're starting to see a pattern here of witness intimidation. And they showed a couple of quotes that people had given who came to testify um, in depositions and what they said about messages that they had gotten. She didn't say who said it, or what who the messages came from, but it's very clear that they're coming from either, you know, Trump or someone very close to Trump on the Well, they in, reference you know, Trump the,
0: World. One on of them actually literally Trump. references Trump yeah. World, yeah. Le-
1: let let me let me just read one of them, for instance. One of them says, a person let me know you have, this is a text they got, I think. A person let me know you have your deposition tomorrow. He wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you. He knows you're loyal and you're going to do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. And, you know, to which Michigan law professor Leah Littman uh, tweets over that, this is how mobsters do witness intimidation, and it's exactly right. And it's so very Trump. I mean, you just know that that is like that's got Trump's paw prints all over it.
0: Yeah, there's a reason Trump doesn't use email, doesn't leave handwritten notes. Would get angry when other people would take notes at meetings. I mean, this is this is his modus, right? I mean, he he will he will use euphemisms. He's thinking about you. Oh, He's what's thinking that? Thinking
1: about you. He what's knows that mean? you're going to do the right thing and that you're yeah. loyal.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Carrie, we've had this operating theory. I alluded to it earlier, that that these macro issues would sort of impact the 2022 midterm election. Right. We we've been saying it's a dual theory. One is that obviously we're going to talk about the abortion issue. We knew that was going to drop and become a major factor. But the other one was Trump inserting himself in a big way in the election because a midterm election usually is rough for the incumbent first time president, because he never can live up to expectations. Our system is not designed to allow uh, legislation to pass, to happen, right? So you come in, you, you make all these promises to become president, you become president, and then you can't deliver on most of them. And then people are like, ah, oh, screw this guy, right? But then you have this, you have this sort of dual uh, problem where the minority party is, is, is pissed, right? Because they're out. So the Tea Party emerged right after Obama, one q anon stuff really hit the mainstream after joe biden won and the resistance after trump won right these things are it's, it just happens on the other hand the winning side gets demoralized because things aren't happening and there's also a bit of complacency of oh we won everything's everything's okay so it becomes a referendum on that president and that president very rarely is able to to survive that first midterm unscathed now the theory is that that trump by inserting himself, it becomes less a referendum on, on Joe Biden and a relitigation of 2020. Now, I think the jury is still out whether that is going to be a major factor. I'm not ready to declare victory on that. But Carrie, you have some idea. You, you you think that maybe that there's that's starting to have some kind of effect with Republicans starting to sour on on Trump. And I'm curious, you know, what you're what you're seeing there and how you think that might impact 2022 midterms.
1: Well, let's okay, so let's say two things here. First of all, let me just say there's two ways that Trump's impacting, right? The the inserting themselves into the midterms, as you said. As we've all talked about, everyone's been analyzing, you know, he's handpicked a number of candidates. Some of them have done well. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them have not. But, you know, Trumpism is alive and well. MAGAism, the MAGA movement is represented alive and well um, in a lot of these Senate races, in a lot of the House races, right? So, and th- th- those people are hugging Trump. They hug Trump in order to win their primary. And it's going to be hard. I, I think and,
0: that they, they hump Trump, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: okay. okay. I'm just going to leave that one alone. <laughs> okay. um, but it, for the family-friendly crowd, no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, right. So, but the other thing now is just think about what's happening with these hearings, anyone with a brain and remember we just we we know that like this isn't going to ch- like the the hearings aren't going to change the mind that you know of of like true trumpers that trump is a criminal or whatever yeah that's not even that's pretend. not nobody's
0: pretending there's, nobody's right, pretending nobody's right,
1: pretending right there's not going to be a persuasion effort here but i do think what happens is is that there is still this like You know, conscious element of swing voters, people who, you know, perhaps voted for Trump in 2016 and then voted for Biden in in 2020, Um, you know, actual swing voters who who maybe are trying to separate out their candidate from what's going on nationally from Trump and whatever. And just think about this. If they're paying attention, and most I think most people are, it, it's not about who's watching the live hearings, it's about how much they're hearing about it, like hearing about the the January 6th hearings. And most people are hearing at least some or a lot about, you know, like two thirds of the electorate, at some poll a few weeks ago, are hearing a, a, a either a lot or some about these hearings, right? Even if they're not watching them live. So the hearings are having an effect. And, you know, what I would like, what I think you could legitimately start asking a bunch of these candidates, these Republican candidates in the general election is, do you support a peaceful transfer of power? Right? Because like- Trump doesn't support a peaceful transfer of power. Michael Flynn doesn't support a peaceful transfer of power. So do you believe in a peaceful transfer of power? Because, you know, Congress actually plays somewhat of a role in that, as we now know. I mean, they shouldn't play an outsized role, but they can if they want to insert themselves. This is a totally fair question. And it makes it really hard for all these people who hug Trump all the way along to have to grapple with questions like that. Well, if you believe in a peaceful transfer of power, do you support what Trump did, right? It leads to follow-up questions that become very problematic for them. So this is the January 6 hearings are presenting a new way in which Trump can easily be inserted into these, um, the general election. And let me just say one other thing. So the question of whether or not people, uh, Republicans, um, and this isn't this includes Trump voters and donors and things like that, are souring. Souring. They are. Um, th- I, I'm sort of a faithful, you know, listener of the Focus Group podcast, and we have we've had Sarah Longwell, who's the host of that, on here. She's a she, you know, she's a friend of mine from DC. She's a never Trumper, and it, this Focus Group podcast she just did two focus groups of. Trumpers. One was a focus group of Trumpers who voted for him in both elections. One was a group of people who didn't vote for him in 2016. And she calls them reverse flippers, then did like what they saw during his presidency. I mean, you know, mind blown, but whatever, did like what they saw and then voted for him in 2020. Okay, so these are these are bona fide Trump voters. And they are the focus group, she said, for the first time ever, and she said, I would never base anything on just Two focus groups. The difference here is that I have been doing focus groups for years with Trump voters, and I have never heard any of them, you know, a majority of them, in any way, suggest that Trump shouldn't run in 2024. She said, for the first time ever, not a single person in either one of these focus groups that she just did, um, I think, within the last week, following, you know, as as these hearings are Mm -hmm. unfolding, first time ever no one said Trump should run in 2024. They all wanted somebody else. And she said, you know, it's not like they were saying, oh, I don't like Trump and, you know, I've I've soured on him, right? It's just that they, they, they either, you know, they have might have multiple reasons. They might not like the way he reflects on them for having voted for him. They might not uh, think he can win, which is a completely reasonable, you know, conclusion that he's like too divisive. But anyway, This, along with some polling and some stuff from uh, Politico, it doesn't mean that Trumpism isn't alive and well. It is totally alive and well. They just, I think they want Trumpism without Trump baggage. And um, Ron DeSantis, uh, to no one's big surprise, is the main person that people mention. But this is fascinating to think that Longwell just thought it was like sort of the ambient noise of this stuff they don't like the January 6th commission they think it's a waste of time they think it's corrupt but it's still like seeping in and bothering them
0: yeah no that's interesting Um, there's two groups of voters there's two approaches when you're trying to win an election one is the persuadables people who actually you can use an argument to try to get them to choose you over the other side then there are the partisans who aren't gonna change their votes no matter what. They're gonna vote for a single party. You just don't know if they're gonna turn out and vote. Right. And in a midterm election, the persuadables tend to go with the opposition because it's easy to you know blame high gas prices and inflation and and whatever you don't like about that moment. Oh yeah, it's the president's fault, even though literally is it's it's not. And then you have, you know, like I said, In the midterm election, the party in power has a motivation problem, right? People think they won or they're demoralized because they didn't get everything that was promised. So, so you had that motivation, you have persuasion. And the only real persuadable group right now are those suburban college educated white women. It's not a lot of them, but it's enough to swing the tight states of Pennsylvania's, Wisconsin's, Michigan, North Carolina. It's, it's not, it's, it's a small percentage, but if we're going to win those states. Maybe, yeah, well, definitely Georgia, Arizona, yeah. uh, Nevada. And so the issue is in, in 20, last year, 2021, we lost a Virginia governor's race in what is nominally a blue state because we lost a lot of those suburban voters to critical race theory, you know, scaremongering, the masks in school, like that whole thing became a thing. And, and so we oh. seem to have lost some of those, you know, persuadable women, suburban women to the dark side. These hearings may actually have effect with that group if they if they are reminded why they voted against Trump in 2020 or why they almost voted against Trump because not all of them did, but I bet you there was a bunch that were right on the edge, this is a good thing the the threat of democracy I mean it's all Republicans testifying this, this can't it's not a partisan uh, attack right I mean it is a partisan attack it's all Republicans I mean yeah, Right. <laughs> Democrats are just it like is, here, talk. Say, say, yeah, say the yeah, things right. That De-
1: Democrats are like, just hand the microphone over to Adam Kinzinger and you know Liz Cheney, Ooh, yeah. the two Republicans on the panel, and let them interview all the Republicans testifying against Trump. Right. So it is, and that you're, in that way, you're right. It is partisan. And, and so remember, Trump? those those are also the women who went to went to the polls in 2018 and voted against Republican yeah. Republicans en masse because of Trump.
0: And now we have a assault on abortion that directly targets one of their rights and that of their daughters and sons yeah. too. I mean, this is not, there's no gender, you know, this affects everybody. I mean, it's an economic issue. It's a medical issue. And, and so there, there's a real chance there. I think that Trump has an effect. And he's already had an effect by, by giving us such gems as Herschel Walker in Georgia and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. So we may actually win a couple of hard seats. Thank you. Thanks to Donald Trump's primary meddling. So, but it still remains to be seen if Trump's president itself will have that big of an effect. So we, we, I still haven't seen it anywhere in the polling, you know, it's still theoretical, but abortion is not
1: Carrie. Abortion is is not not theoretical. And to your point, the, you know, there's been a lot of polling recently, and I can go over some of it, but but just to your point about, um, you know, suburban women, I typically think of them as college educated. I think it's a diverse group, Um, you know, lots of people of color and white folks and whatever, but to college, the the biggest divide on um, the abortion issue is really among college educated voters and non-college educated voters. I mean, It's it is gender, too. Right. It's we'll see that later in polling I talk about. But like women are much, much, much more interested in the issue as a top three issue than than men are. The economy is the top issue for men seems to be across the board. Right. But I just want to throw this out. Um, The CBS uh, um, or no, the NPR poll found that. Sixty nine percent of college graduates oppose the ruling that overturned Roe, whereas so that's like basically 70 percent. Seven in 10 college graduates oppose the ruling. over And that's
0: Roe. all gender, right? Not-
1: that's that's all gender. That's everyone. Um, so this is college, you know, college educated like that's they got a college degree. Uh, for voters who didn't graduate from college, they're evenly divided. It's forty-seven percent opposed and forty-seven percent supported. So, like you are talking about a huge suburban divide there on the issue of abortion. Now, how how much they prioritize that? matters i think from a gender standpoint a lot okay i'm not saying no men think this is important that's not what i'm saying at all but women by and large think it's far yeah, more yeah. we're important. talking
0: broadly statistically so nobody right. needs to yeah yeah get upset i'm a i'm a dude who is upset yeah. <laughs> i know statistically i may not be in a majority
1: yeah. of my
0: particular group yeah so go on
1: well okay so there Look. Let me just run through some of this polling that we've had, because we've had a lot of polling come out. And I'll end up with um, talking about the generic ballot. But, you know, first of all, the NPR survey found that 78 percent of Democrats said the court's ruling made them more likely to vote this fall. That was 24 points higher than Republicans who said the ruling made them more likely. It wasn't the only. What? They want. Yeah, they want. Right. This is they my theory that
0: the power party in power is demobilized because of of complacency. That may be the first hint of that, Carrie.
1: It might be the first hint of that. I will say I think a lot of Republicans are going to show up at the polls anyways because they want it. They they want to. They want to cast a ballot against Joe Biden, who they think stole the election. Okay, I, I, I think that we can conclude that there's going to be oh, yeah. a fair amount of Republicans, but I do think the abortion issue helps Democratic base voters considerably. And so NPR wasn't the only survey that found a, a, a you know, a disparity between how the abortion ruling was landing with Democrats and Republicans. The CBSU Gov poll found 50 percent of these more, of Democrats more likely to vote, while just 20. Twenty percent of Republicans were more likely to vote. That was not exactly the numbers. The data isn't exactly the same, but the divide is very close. It was yeah. 24 point. It was that was that's a 30 point edge for Democrats on that. This is making me more likely to vote thing in the CBS poll and a 24 point Edge for Democrats in the NPR poll. So very, diff- very yeah, and, similar.
0: And Kerry, let me let me add some context to that because I think it's important because, again, midterm election, the party in power's turnout is down. The party out of power turnout is up. Republicans are going to vote no matter what. Yeah. So even them saying oh, you only 20% say they're, they're more likely, they were already going to vote. Yes. So they're already maxed out. And they'll say that because they, they're going to they're going to express their pleasure at the decision by saying, yeah, I'm more likely to vote. They were going to they were going to vote already. Democratic-leaning voters are not. It's hard for us to vote even in presidential years. It's, it's a challenge to get the core Democratic base to the polls. And then that challenge becomes even harder. So for people, in other words, the baseline is much higher. Republicans had every reason to already be highly engaged and motivated to turn out. Democrats had every reason to be demobilized, demotivated to turn out. This may actually be getting us up to par, which really starts shaping a general election electorate, not yes. a midterm electorate, a general election electorate.
1: Yes. It's going to, I, I firmly believe this is going to feel a lot more like a general election that's about base, mo- or um, that that, it, that draws out people with almost equal amounts of enthusiasm. So yeah. let, let's look at the generic ballot real quick. It, and then explain what talk- that is
0: so people know what a generic ballot oh, is.
1: Oh, sorry. You do a better job of explaining the generic, uh, okay. generic ballot. Okay.
0: Generic ballot is, yes. so obviously we have 435 house elections, right? House districts, Um, but you can't really pull 435. That's just, nobody's going to do it too expensive, too hard, et cetera, et cetera. So what you do is you create a generic ballot. You pull everybody. Are you going to vote democratic? Are you going to vote Republican? Now, because of gerrymandering, Democrats can win the generic, they, they can win all the house votes. You can tally every vote in a house election nationwide. Democrats can win it and they almost always do and they can still lose the house because that's what gerrymandering does. It packs those democratic votes into, into single districts, uh, allowing Republicans to win a majority without actually winning a majority. Just another way that we don't have a democracy in this country. So the generic ballot just gives us an idea. So I, the old maps, you, Democrats needed to win the generic congressional ballot by about five to six points to win a majority of the house. I think we made slight headway during redistricting. So it might not be five to six. It might be four to five points, but you still, but it's at least it gives us we an still, idea of where public sentiment is right. and where the house elections may fall. It's not an exact science, but it just gives, gets us in the ballpark.
1: And, and this generic ballot give, um, uh, information gives us a sense of where things are moving, right? Who's, Who's yeah. making progress, right? Where the momentum is, right? And what we have is uh, several, um, we now have three or four polls that have come out where they had data um, before the ruling and data after the ruling after Roe got gutted, right? So the the NPR Marist poll found that um, that before the ruling it moved from uh, from Democrats plus five, To Democrats plus seven, so that's a two point move in a good direction for Democrats. Morning Consult, which is like usually affiliated with uh, Politico, it's the Politico um, polling arm. They they went from pre ruling being a tie to post-ruling be, being Democrats plus three in the generic ballot. Um, the Yahoo, uh, Gov poll went from uh, Democrats plus four to Democrats plus seven. So in all of those polls, that's a several point move in the direction of, you know, it's a two to three point move in the direction of Democrats. Um, that poll, the Yahoo YouGov poll, actually proed, um asked the question: If you were given a choice, this is another generic question, but between a pro-choice Democrat versus a pro-life Republican, who would you vote for? And the pro-choice Democrat in that scenario got fifteen, a fifteen-point edge. So forty-seven. Okay, 47- that, that is
0: that's a blockbuster number.
1: That's a blockbuster number, a fifteen point edge, and basically what we're talking about. It's like you just have to remind people. All
0: basically, Republicans are anti-abortion, yeah. right? All of them. Uh, all
1: Republicans. I mean, there might be like three
0: of them that are. And all,
1: and all, and virtually all Democrats, virtually like like ninety nine percent of Democrats are pro-choice. So it's so like, let's make sure everybody remembers which party is which party, right? And I just want to say one more thing about that NPR Maris poll, because this was really interesting. In April they did a, they did the generic ballot, and this was before we got the leak that the decision was going to overturn Roe. And they had Republicans plus three on the generic ballot. Then they did a post-leak poll for Dem, and that had Democrats plus five. And then they did a post-row decision poll, and that had Democrats plus seven. So that's a 10-point swing between yeah. before they we knew that the ruling was going to come down, when we knew the ruling was going to come down, and after the ruling actually came down.
0: Yeah, Republican plus plus three would be landslide territory. That would be Republicans winning 30, 40 seats. That's yes. the difference. Plus seven is narrow. Democratic hold. Maybe we even pick up a handful of seats here and there. That's the difference. And Carrie, what's I know I know a couple of weeks ago, polling suggested that like half women still didn't even know this was happening.
1: Oh, I think. Do we do we have know. anything? I, I don't know. I can't put a number so, on that right now. I would be surprised was, how if there's people who don't know. I think.
0: Oh, there's a lot of people because we see well, stories of women showing up to to clinics and like shocked that their appointments were canceled.
1: Well, here, here's what, I mean, I think a lot of these clinics had to call people and say, look, it's, you know, you're, you're it, I mean, if they didn't know before, they know now, anyone who was planning. But what I will say is, I think there, there may be some women who didn't know it was happening, right? But I think one of the bigger problems is, is people not knowing what's happening in their state, right? Because it's very state specific. So I think there's a lot of people who are running around, you know, it, it maybe a moderately, you know, like not, not like super Trumpy state thinking, well, this isn't going to affect me. Hey, let's let's just think about Pennsylvania for a second, right? Pennsylvania is a good example. Pennsylvania has got a, a you know, a, a Republican state legislature and right now a Democratic governor. And of course there's a huge gubernatorial um, um, race there this fall um, between Josh Shapiro, the Democratic president, very pro-choice. I mean, Democratic gubernatorial nominee, very pro choice. He's the current attorney general and state senator Doug Mastriano, who wants to end abortions, quote unquote, period. Like he wants to end all abortions, no exceptions. He's very extreme. He was at January 6th. um, He was at the rally and breached the, even though he said he didn't, there's video of him breaching the barricade. So, so he, you know, he is like, He's the genuine article. He's super maga, super, super extreme. Anyway, in that particular race, right, I think it hasn't quite sunk in for a lot of people that the governor of their state is the difference between an all out ban on abortion there and. Yeah.
0: That's going to be productive yeah. freedom.
1: Right. Because his the, the 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 veto pen of a Democratic governor is the difference between not having. And I think and this comes out in the polling because there was a recent poll that was taken after the leak, but before the ruling. So, right. We have to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because the passions may be even running higher now.
0: Not grain of salt. Actually, this may be not. It, it could even be more uh, yes, right, democratic.
1: Yes. Thank yeah. you. for I mean, that It was correction.
0: true at the time. I mean, it was. It, yeah. Given the polls, margin of error, everything else. Right.
1: Right. It, you're yeah. right. It I,
0: might, it I, might I, understate I, the current yes. situation.
1: Understate. Forget the grain of salt. Understate. It might understate the passions. Right. But so this is in Pennsylvania and they polled both the Senate race and the uh, gubernatorial race. Right. And what you found was, first of all, abortion in the Senate race for women was the top issue, the top issue and abortion for women in the gubernatorial race was the number 3 issue for men the economy was the number 1 issue on both things gun control was the was a top issue as was a top issue for both for both women and men okay but the women were prioritizing in the senate race abortion, because I think, I mean, you know, you can see kind of logically, I, I think, right? I'm just guessing. But they want a federal, they want to codify, you know, Roe into Supreme Court law.
0: is a federal, you know, institution, and they were right. approved by senators. Right. So I think it's all logical to think Supreme Court abortion, not my state.
1: Right. Not my state. Right. I want my senator. I think this is a huge issue in the Senate race. So, you know, if I were Josh Shapiro, I would spend a lot of time making sure all those women know that if they, you know, elect Doug Mastriano, uh, and I just I'll give you in a second, they're both ahead in their races, both of those Democrats, but by different margins. But I would make a lot I would spend a lot of time making sure Pennsylvania women know that he would be the only thing that would stand between reproductive freedom in the state and a total abortion ban. Right. I don't think they quite get the gravity. And maybe they. a lot of them are waking up to that gravity now that the ruling yeah. has actually come down. And I'm sure there's going to be a a huge effort to educate everyone about what okay. this means for individual states. Right. But John John Fetterman is up in the in his race against Dr. Mehmet Oz. Right. TV Huckster, Dr. Oz. He's up in his race by nine points over Oz. Josh Shapiro is up four points over state Senator Doug Mastriano, which is, I mean, Mastriano is such, he is probably the most extreme gubernatorial candidate in, in, in the nation, or he's certainly in the running for it. So the idea that he's four point, like just four points away from Shapiro, actually, I find a little like scary, but
0: (laughs) it's it's terrifying. So in just a little more context, um, that would be a Senate pickup. If, uh, John Fetterman wins that race. We need to pick up a net two to render Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema irrelevant. Uh, Fetterman is is he's he's solidly liberal. He's anti um, filibuster. He would definitely get us that one step closer to eliminating the filibuster, which then would allow if we can hold the Senate, w- w- well not hold the Senate if we can eliminate the filibuster in the Senate, yep. which means at least plus two, and hold the House, we can actually codify Roe. We v. Wade. could. Along with,
1: it, rights, along with voting rights, along with a right, lot of other things,
0: DC statehood, to DC statehood, maybe Puerto Rico statehood, at least have a referendum to let them decide that could rebalance that huge Republican advantage in the Senate. So, uh, and everything else we care about, right? But <laughs> gun control, but. Um, these are things that are that are absolutely possible, and, and so Fetterman gets us one step closer if those numbers can can hold. So here's here's one thing. Here's why I'm excited about that poll, Kerry, because Republicans have been very successful at nurturing this class of single issue voters, whether it's the NRA and guns, or the mega churches and abortion. And these voters will vote for the Republican. No, every election they're not nobody worries about them turning out they will turn out and they uh they um what do you call it Uh, they don't care about any other issue so the economy so if you're an evangelical voter and suddenly you have a you know donald trump who is the most morally bankrupt human being this country could have ever produced shows up you know Having sex with a prostitute, uh, with a uh, with a porn star, while you know his wife is home with a baby, and you know using his charity as a grift, and they knew all that stuff. And at the, now they love him. Now they think he's the second coming of of Christ. You know because some Bible verse says somebody's imperfect, and he's the imperfect vehicle or mess. They've rationalized it, but early on they hadn't rationalized it yet. They're like. Boy, this guy really, I mean, if this guy was a Democrat, would we, would we even remotely think about voting for him? But abortion, the Supreme Court, like that trumped everything. So when you look at this Virginia poll and you talk about how in that Senate race, the, for women, abortion is number one. I think the economy was number two or was gun control number two? And we're not even talking about guns. That—that—that's in,
1: in the Senate race? Yeah. In the se- I can go back and look, but I actually think it was abortion, guns, and the economy for the Senate race, for so, women, for yeah. women so in Pennsylvania. Yep.
0: What if we're finally, as a movement, creating that single issue super voter who we don't have to worry about turning out. We don't have to worry about is gas prices going up. Oh, no, they're going to vote. We need those. We don't, we don't, ha- we, we do. We have the black, the black voter is probably that super voter. Mm-hmm. But it's if we can expand that base of single issue Democratic voter, it changes everything, Carrie. It's everything. So Just five, 10% extra people we can depend on. We don't have to worry about turning them out. Not only that, they're going to be the foot soldiers. They're going to be right. out there knocking on doors because they realize now that abortion, oh, you know, it, we weren't, it wasn't chicken little, you know, crying wolf. Like, right abortion rights were literally under under siege, and nobody believed us to the point where Carrie, I wrote a book called American Taliban about ten years ago, warning about this this issue, and liberals attacked me for it, saying I was being alarmist, and I wasn't being right. fair to Republicans. How right. dare I say that conservatives treated women the way that the Taliban does? And now we right. see, <laughs> now we see that. That's why I'm really excited about that poll. Besides the plus nine for Fetterman and plus five for
1: right, right. And let me let me um. Let me just make a clarification too. I said guns. This is this is actually people the question was about gun control. So it was, it was not just specific, it wasn't like guns and it could have been interpreted as gun rights or gun control. It was specifically gun control. So the people who were saying, I went back and looked just a second while you were Uh, talking. That's a good point.
0: That's a good point.
1: Right. It was gun control. So it's very clear that it's a gun control and not just, um, you know, second amendment. Like, Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I went back and looked while you were talking and it turned out that um, for women, the economy and guns was were tied at second. So for women in the Senate race in Pennsylvania, uh, abortion was the number one issue. Twenty four percent said that. And then 16 percent said for each gun control and the economy that that was their issue. So they, they were tied for number two. Um so. Which is
0: still remarkable that only 16% of women are are have the economy foremost, and those are probably Republican-leaning women. Um, this is our opportunity to completely right. rejigger. You know, it was funny. I was, I was. There was, a, <laughs> there was a some conservative podcaster somebody I hadn't seen before was tweeting about. She said, you know. This may sound like a conspiracy, but what if liberals orchestrated this, this, Supreme Court decision so that they could win the election? And aside from the, you know, nobody has agency, right? You know, everybody, they're always at the whims of the liberal schemers because they, they can't be at fault for their own actions. Aside from all that, I think they sense the tide turning. I think they sense the energy and it's got to be freaking them out.
1: I think, I think I think Republicans are trying to figure out what the hell to do now. I mean, and I just want to say, too, in that Pennsylvania poll, because the, the, the Republicans are keep saying it's going to be inflation and crimes. OK, inflation. And we talked about this ad nauseum last last uh, show. I spent a lot of time on it. Inflation is a bad issue for Democrats. It's bad for Biden. It's bad for Democrats. There's no way around it. Right. It doesn't matter whether you think this is a manufactured thing through, you know, through the way the media has covered it or whether it's really hitting uh, people where it counts. They are pessimistic about the state of the economy right now um, and inflation. Um, But crime registered nowhere in Pennsylvania. It was in single digits. It wasn't a top issue for. For a- any voters. So it so like that whole like we're going to run on fash- inflation and crime. They can run on inflation. I don't know how they're running on crime. Maybe it gins up their base. But, man, they aren't winning over anyone on crime. People are people are, I think, at the moment way less concerned about crime than they are about mass shootings. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's you know, the
0: crime. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, right. a crime. that's okay, the crime. OK, yeah. Run on right? crime. The crime of, of children right. getting gunned down in schools.
1: Right. Getting run on fired. that crime. Hey, listen, Yeah. Our, our, um, can I just say our producer just asked a good question and I would like to hear your answer to this because I think you've really been paying attention to it. Do we need to have new leadership in the DNC and also in the in not just the DNC, I would say, but also like on the Hill. How well do you okay. think they've been doing on this, you know, post row, like capturing the energy here? That's
0: funny that that question funny because I was just going to say that another um, sort of side effect of the of the Supreme Court decision is that now nobody's thinking about Joe Biden. Really, the Supreme Court is the focus. So any liberal that might have been like, oh, Joe Biden, didn't, you know, didn't do this, this or that or, or, you know, real anger, things like no student debt relief. Supreme Court like Trump's everything. And so Republicans are still going to be like, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, and maybe it'll resonate with their crew. But as far as demobilizing our side, I think Joe Biden has been rendered irrelevant. To answer the question about the DNC, DNC is irrelevant. Everybody, everybody's so fixated on the DNC. DNC, all I do is send money to the state parties. DNC is not an organization that does anything other than send money to state parties. So they'll raise money and they'll fund the Wisconsin, they'll do that fine. And Jamie Harrison, who runs the DNC, is a good guy. He's, he's, he, he was a uh, grassroots organizer. I mean, if you're not happy with Jamie Harrison, then you're just, I mean, there's just nothing. But the DNC is not an organization that actually develops message. It's not an organization that can in any way control what Democrats are saying or doing. And that's key. So do we need better leadership? Yeah, um, I think I think it's time. you're not talking
1: about the DNC, though. You're talking about no, congressional. I'm, t- I'm yeah. talking
0: I'm talking why we need new blood. I mean, and I don't want to be ageist because it's it's not about an age thing as in how old they are. It's about how long they've been in D.C. that age. I am ageist. I mean, what's the word for that? I am longest. Uh, I am tenurist. however long they've been in D.C. where they cannot escape the pull of trying to be collegial. And trying to you know play by certain rules when republicans don't play by any rules they stole a supreme court seat they've only won one election presidential election popular vote in the last 30 years yet they control the supreme court with a 6-3 majority how how is that possible if you're playing by any sort of logical rules of democracy and they're, they're not i mean nobody they're not even pretending they think it's freaking hilarious and they almost took the final step, right? That's what January 6th committee commission is all about. So do we need new leadership? Yeah. Luckily, I don't think it matters right now. I, I don't, can I, I play
1: devil's advocate.
0: Oh, you don't even have to play. You can disagree. Don't don't feel the need to <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have to be devil's advocate well, if you disagree.
1: Here's, here's the reason. I mean, I am seeing from a lot of activists, um, you know. We're really disappointed that they're not being more specific. You know, it seems to be there is there is the sense still, I don't get it, but like I heard a story about, you know, someone who was kind of on the inside of the DC consultant world who was saying No, yeah, those guys White are assholes. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 white house doesn't want to spend too much time talking about abortion because they've been told that the polling isn't like doesn't it doesn't help i'm like really what, like yeah. which fucking polls are they looking at so like you know harris has kind of been dodging some uh, vice president kamala harris has been kind of dodging some questions about it of course she may not be making like she's got to play by joe biden's rules right so she's she may not be making her own decisions on what to say and and how to say it but like it's just like i i i would like i don't know why someone isn't going i mean the, he should level the president should level with the american people and say look this is really important he did say, he did at least the day of say this was important like this is the first time the supreme court has ever taken away, used overturned a decision and used it to take away rights from people that had already been granted, take away constitutional rights. This is unprecedented. It has never happened before, right? It's not that decisions have never been overturned. They've never been overturned to take away constitutional rights, right? And he at least said that. But why not have a campaign where you say, look, we will codify this into law. I want to sign that bill. And in order to do it, we need to elect two more Democratic senators, you oh, know, yeah. who agree. have pledged to um, who, who have pledged to end the filibuster in order to do this. And trust me, all of those Democratic candidates right now are saying, hey, I'm your person. I'm going to overturn the filibuster in order mm-hmm. to codify Roe and probably more voting rights, et cetera. Go down the line. But why? why doesn't the white house just freaking lay it out because then if look we don't get if we don't net two senators who will do that you can say i ran on this and i wanted to do it but i just don't think we can do it because we're one senator short or whatever it is and if if we do get that great then you can do it i mean like Let's lay it out for people what we need in order to make this happen. And I've heard this sentiment. It's not just like the Twitterverse, right? It's not just paid. It's not just people who are super involved in the activist world. Like I heard a a random person at a, you know, at a rally, you can say, well, that's activism. But, you know, on NPR saying, I'm just, I'm like so frustrated with our Democrats because they just don't like act and i actually had a friend of mine come up to me she's liberal but she's not super activist and she's always asking me how things are going whenever i see her We're, we don't see each other that often but every few months right always asking me how things are going because she she can't keep up with everything you know she's got two young kids and she's liberal but she, you know she works as a psychologist whatever and she asked me what do you think about this because a lot of my friends are saying you know democrats like don't aren't doing enough they aren't trying to codify this into into law and they're frustrated with democrats and i said well first of all i get being frustrated with democrats we don't have the we don't have the the luxury right now of not voting so tell your friends to vote they've got to vote democratic but absolutely we need to organize and get new leadership in there we need to have leaders who will so i but no i, I this, don't disagree
0: like, i i don't disagree with that let me we're running out of time so i just yeah, want to i want to ask you this question because you have direct insight into this and i'm really curious you said vice president kamala harris you know, she's 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 limited by being sort of, you know, having to follow the party line, with Joe Biden and the White House. Right. Joe Biden wasn't limited when he came out in favor of gay rights. He actually gave a lot of trouble to Barack Obama at the time. Sure right. Did. And oh, that was Harris a for had an And even more of a right to come out in and and and, and uh, oppose the White House. Not a, not don't have to be opposed. Right. They're not opposed, but be more yeah. aggressive than, than Joe Biden is wanting to be right. How, how big was that for gay rights for Joe Biden to contradict? Obama? Oh, that
1: was, that was very, very helpful. And you know, I like, I, I I'm unclear. I'm a little unclear how premeditated it was. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure because it like his, I know I talked to the person who watched it unfold on set and was like, they were scrambling. People were because I wrote a, you know, I wrote a book about those years, and people were scrambling and like, "Oh my God, what did he just say?" You know, his aides were like, "This is a typical Biden moment where Biden just said the thing that no one's supposed to be saying, right?" But that absolutely mattered, regardless of whether it was premeditated or he stumbled into it. And I do think it's what he believed, so I don't think it was disingenuous. I just, I don't know how premeditated it was, but it absolutely was a piece of 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 what helped box. Uh, president Obama into coming out. He could not, I mean, there were a lot of things happening, right? Um, He needed the credibility. He could not have his, you know, what 30 to 40 year elder, like vice president (laughs) be ahead of him. Right. right, Same sex marriage.
0: That's why I can't give Kamala Harris a pass, right? Because she, um, first of all, Joe Biden has no, no right to complain because he pulled that trick. That's fair. Um, but she, as, as a woman who is directly affected by by this, has more of a more in, in black in a, you know, and this disproportionately affects the black community, has more of a moral standing than Joe Biden did when he did that with with um, with gay rights. And he had every moral standing to do so. Right. I think Harris would be even more justified. Um, would she do it? I, but um, no, I mean, t- the broader question. Stronger Democratic leadership would be fine. They, they do a great job of trying to, to tamp down. I mean, you had, you had Clyburn, right, who's the House uh, Majority Whip, say I, I, that, that the decision was anti climatic, right? This is, these are people that need to go. There is young leadership that can, <laughs> who will understand they can read the room. I mean, once you've been in there for what, 40 years, 50 years, can you even read the room at that point? I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't, think I don't know.
1: I, I, I was thinking Clyburn represents what I think is a majority black district in South Carolina. I cannot imagine a constituency that is more impacted by this than, a, no. than a black constituency in the South, right? Yeah, in a state this that is not being illegal. able to get proper reproductive care. Right. And I, I, I just, it just, Made me like want to scream when I heard him say like, it was anticlimactic. Yeah. I was like, "Have you talked to a woman around you in like, I don't know, you know, the past yeah. like thirty days, you know, six months, two years?"
0: So we are we are just about out of time, and the the I think the bottom line of what we've been talking about really is just pointing that that stuff is scrambled. Old alliances, um, at least with suburban women, are suddenly. You know, in question, that notion that the it's the economy stupid is out the window when a core right is on the ballot. The fact that Joe Biden is unpopular may be less of a factor when the Supreme Court is the villain. I mean, the Supreme Court's That's in charge true. now. The Supreme Joe Court Biden's is not in charge.
1: Yeah, no, the Supreme no part, Court isn't in charge anymore. But Gallup Gallup found that even before this other before the ruling came out, they were the Supreme Court's uh, American public's opinion of the Supreme Court was already at a historic low of 25% approval. I mean, that is like that is like bottom of the barrel. Like people hate this court.
0: So, I think it's it's time. I think we can we can I can confidently say it I couldn't say it before I think I can confidently say now that historical norms where the party in power loses seats in a midterm election first first midterm election out the window we don't know what's going to happen everything is different and that means that we are going to have to fight tooth and nail for every seat every governorship I suspect we may win seats that we didn't expect to win in certain places. I think Texas is suddenly a lot more competitive at the gubernatorial level if you start realizing that the governor has, you know, potential say in abortion in the state. I mean, we'd have to win the legislature. I, it's a problem. But sure. now you start building towards that. You have a narrative to build. You have a reason to organize people in a state that was already trending democratic. So there, there's this story in, this, in the 70s, rural and Religious people organized to take away people's rights. And by the 20s, they were able to, to effectively do that. They, they actually passed the, pass a constitutional amendment. And this is not abortion. This is 100 years ago, prohibition. And it took 14 years for people to organize against this rural Christianist coalition to pass a, not just overturn <laughs> prohibition, but to pass a constitutional amendment. We know how hard those are. Pass a constitutional amendment. So this, I'm hoping, is history repeating itself. Because this isn't, this isn't about booze. I mean, that's just something people like, like to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is a core right. And I'm hoping it doesn't take 14 years. But I really do hope that we see parallels in history and that people organize and, and become single-issue voters on this on this. As we move forward, you know, forward in this you next know we can
1: become single-issue voters on. Just to add this in is privacy rights, right? Right oh, to contraception. Yes. You right. wrote a great right, piece
0: on this. Right,
1: right to contraception. Right to to start a family when and how you want to. Right to send your kids to school where you want to. Um, right to have sex with who you want to. Uh, you know, right to you know decide what to do with your health care regarding your body. I mean, this is these are all privacy rights, and they're all on the table. Clarence Thomas wrote it, wrote an opinion, you know, concurring opinion with uh, with Justice Alito that named them all named all of Yeah, he, he uh, couldn't be
0: quiet. He couldn't wink, no, wink no, it. Like, no, like Alito no. did. Alito wink, wink.
1: No, right. Or Alito's like, Oh, this is different. It's abortion. And Clarence Thomas was like, no, it's not. It's not different. <laughs> send me it that marriage challenge. Send me that, you know, that <laughs> contraception challenge, send it all to me, except, don't send me the interracial marriage <laughs> right. to a white woman. I mean, what? You mentioned You all the privacy rights, except that one. Gee, that was convenient, but
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're going to, we're going to definitely have a lot to talk about this um, over the months ahead. And particularly once, once August, September hits, we're going to be off to the races guys. And so we're going to need to organize and we're going to need to make sure. I mean, I know we all pay attention. You're listening to the show. You definitely pay attention. You, you know, about, the decision. You know about what's happening with people's right to choose. There's a lot of people who don't pay attention, who are politically disengaged. And I'm not passing judgment on that. They just have other priorities in their life. And that's okay. It's going to be our jobs as activists uh, to make sure everybody knows what's at stake and to and to act on that. So that is our show for today. Thank you, Carrie, so much. Uh, it was such a pleasure having us back together in the show. Thanks to Walter, uh, who's our producer. Thanks to um, Kara and Dorothy Dorothy. and Paul Paul. for their work behind the scenes and making this show happen. And thanks to you, our uh, viewer and our listener for joining us every week and being part of this movement to reclaim our rights. Used to be we're trying to protect our rights. (laughs) Now we got to reclaim our rights. The battle is even bigger, even more important. But People are starting to wake up. The energy is changing. The intensity is changing. So it's going to be, we have allies now. We're not sort of lonely in a void, trying to get people to care about November. People are starting to care. Now it's our job to shepherd them in the right direction and make sure that they are doing the things that they need to do, that they're registered, that they turn out, maybe even get them to make some phone calls, You know, send texts to their friends, get them more engaged in the democracy because we need everybody to, to not just um, hold back the hordes, But to start building the majorities, we need to regain these rights that we have lost and the ones that are under siege by Clarence Thomas and and Sam Alito and so on. So thank you all so much. It's been a pleasure. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.